with you aside from our current uh, series, Repurpose, and we'll come back to that next week, and then we will move into a season of Advent, and uh, recognizing, not that I believe in any ways that December 25th is the birth of Christ, or even the month of December is the birth of Christ, but we cannot elude and get around the fact and dismiss the fact that God himself took upon human flesh and became incarnate man. Uh, he be God and man all in one and came into this world and uh, saved us of our sins. And, uh, and so I definitely want to uh, draw emphasis to that uh, week after next. And uh, so I pray that you'll, you'll pray for me. I'm, I'm regaining my strength, so I don't have to sit down. Uh, George, you can, where'd George go? Uh, but he's had my stool and I've been letting him use it. I had to use it last week. Um, but I'm on the rebound now. Y'all must be praying for me. Now don't don't start clapping now, like because you don't want to be the only one that look like you ain't praying for me. All right. Yeah, I know y'all forgot, but anyway, Amen. Let me ask you a rhetorical question: Have you ever been in the company or the presence of ungrateful people? Sometimes ungratefulness is not verbalized, but we hear it loud and clear. <laughs> it, it, it's, it's not silent. Not to sound too spiritual, but have you noticed, like I've noticed, that even before Thanksgiving Day is over, we're already planning for Black Friday. A day that is dedicated, if you will, to giving thanks to God for who he is and what he has done. And we cannot get out of this day before we're thinking about mounting up, restoring our energy to get in long lines to consume even more. Probably to purchase things that we already have and probably don't have need of anything else. I I don't know if you're like me, but... uh, all day Thursday, I kept hearing on the radio and even in the restaurants and different places, they were already playing Christmas music. And I had this idea that they were playing the Christmas music to get us in the mood for Christmas and to set us up for the merchant's idea of Christmas so that we would get in the line on Friday to consume even more, 365 days out of the year and one day that is dedicated to thanksgiving and hopefully thanksgiving to God. And we can't even get out of that day before we are saying, I want more. Ungratefulness and unthankfulness is not necessarily, again, what is verbalized, but sometimes it's contained in our desire of a lack of contentment, and wanting even more. I know y'all saying, Rev, you starting this sermon off wrong. You all up in my stuff already. Even at Thanksgiving, sometimes we can sit around the Thanksgiving table and complain about what we don't have and what we wish we had on the table and who wish, wish who wasn't here in the, the dining room or in the house a spirit and a lack of gratitude. It reminds me one Thanksgiving season, a family was sitting around the table on Thanksgiving Day and they were about to eat the holiday bird and from the eldest to the youngest, the father wanted them to go around the table to talk about what they were thankful for. Got all the way down to the youngest, the five-year-old son, and he started off with the pleasantries and he, and he thought that he would thank Be thankful for the turkey. He said, even though I haven't tasted it, but I know it's good. Then almost by process of elimination, he he, he started giving credits, starting with his mother for cooking the turkey. Then he looked at his dad and thanked dad for buying the turkey. And then he joined together a whole hidden multitude of benefactors, linking them with the cause and the effect. So he went back to the grocery store and said, I want to thank the clerk for selling us the turkey. I want to thank the store workers for putting the turkey on the shelf. I want to thank the farmer for raising the turkey and making it fat. I want to thank the man who grew the corn to make the feed 
to feed the turkey so he could be fat. I want to thank the delivery driver for bringing the turkey to the grocery store. And when he got to all of that, he said, I don't know if I forgot anybody. And his 12-year-old brother, who is just getting on his nerves at this point, says, oh, my God. And the boy said, I was getting to him. Here's the question in a season of Thanksgiving, when are we going to get to him? When are we going to give him thanks? We have so much to be grateful for, and yet it eludes us. We're very inattentive, if you will, to the blessings of God. And today I pray that God would speak to all of our hearts, including the reverends, if you will, of how and why we should be more thankful, and especially thankful to God. I want to invite you to turn with me to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, uh, beginning with verse 11 through 19, I think is an appropriate passage for us to focus on and talk about a spirit of thanksgiving. Listen to what the penman Luke says in Luke 17 and 11 in his Recordings. Now it happened as he, Jesus, went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men that Luke would have us know that they were lepers. And they stood afar off and they lifted their voices and said to Jesus, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, when Jesus saw them, he said to them, when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went, they were cleansed, they were healed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned with a loud voice, glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And one of them. And one of them. And Luke would have us to know that this man was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the other nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God? Except, notice how Jesus draws emphasis, this foreigner. And he said to him, Jesus says to this man, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Tap your neighbor and say, will you be the one to give God thanks? As Jesus continues to move from the east to the west on his way back or his return to Jerusalem, he is traveling through what the gospel writers call and refer to as the journey sections of the gospel. We see Jesus intentionally passing between Samaria and the northern region of Galilee. Then it's no wonder that he encounters, if you will, a Samaritan in this region. The penman, Dr. Luke, he's also a physician. He writes and makes note of not only the condition of these ten lepers, but he also makes note, if you will, and records the miracle that Jesus performed. But I noticed that Dr. Luke, although being a physician, didn't give much attention to the condition of the ill, nor to the supernatural miracle by Christ himself. But what he did draw emphasis and attention to, and his focus was was gathered to, is the attitude and the reaction of those healed versus their physical condition. When we look at this narrative from God's word and from the good news of Jesus Christ, it is a great picture of thanksgiving and even a great picture of the lack thereof. I want to give us three reasons this morning, three points that I want to make clear. And I hope that we are in that category that you and I individually yet collectively, because it is an individual decision that you and I are in that category where we will be the ones who will turn around and give God thanks. All week long, God has blessed us all year long and all of life long, God has blessed us. But it is so easy, just having a sinful nature, to have a sense of ingratitude. Look at number one. I want to give you a biblical reason for thanksgiving. A reason. Somebody say a reason for thanksgiving. Maybe if we look at the condition of these 10 men, we will see 
while all 10 should have turned around, but only one turned around to give God thanks. Let's first of all, let's look at their condition. Dr. Luke says they were lepers. Leprosy was considered contagious in that day. It wasn't just a skin disorder, but it was a flesh-eating disease. It ate right through the nerves and ate right down to the bones until finally these people died that were, uh, if you will, that had leprosy. And yet we understand why they stood afar off when Jesus was approaching and why they were really saying, stand back, stand back. It's because God, even in his law contained in the book of Leviticus chapter 13, he writes and says that this is how we ought to treat those who have this disease of leprosy. In Leviticus 13, 45, he says, now the leper on whom the sore is, his clothes shall be torn and his head bare and he shall cover his mustache and cry unclean, unclean. He shall be unclean all the days he has the sore. He shall be unclean. He is unclean, God says, and he shall dwell alone. His dwelling shall be outside of the camp. He's supposed to be colonized, isolated, exiled. So no wonder he stood, they stood afar off. As a matter of fact, According to a rabbinical tradition, they were supposed to remain 100 paces or steps away from anyone else that didn't have the disease. Look at what these 10 men missed. Outcasts, if you will, of society. 10 men that were isolated, dislodged, disconnected from the rest of society and especially from spiritual things. Ten men that that were not allowed to enter into the temple courtyards to even worship Jehovah God. Ten men, because of their condition, if you will, uh, they, they wouldn't have the privilege of ever being married to love someone that would love them back. Ten men, even if they were married, are now disassociated away from their families and can't live in the same house or even have visitation. Ten men who wouldn't attend their son's bar mitzvah and entrance into manhood. Ten men who would never have the privilege of of walking their daughters down the aisle and giving them away in holy matrimony. Ten men that would never bounce their grandchildren on their knee and have the opportunity to play with them. Ten men that would never be able to hold down a job or own their own businesses and provide for their families. Ten men who could never go to the marketplace again and to negotiate. Ten men that couldn't attend their parents' funerals. Ten men who couldn't talk about politics in the barbershop or neither around the town public fountain. Ten men that couldn't attend a church service, neither a Bible study. I think some of us must have leprosy, right? Ten men who would die in absolute obscurity, isolation, and desolation. Ten men who there would hardly even be anyone that would prepare their bodies for burial. Ten men that the only thing they could do was condole and console one another because of their disease. Maybe the adage is true that misery loves company. What hope do they have? They're separated from all of life. They're separated from All of the pleasures of life, they're separated from the joy and significance and the meaning of life. Somebody shout, but then came Jesus. (laughs) I don't know if you remember, but we were all spiritual lepers. We're all separated from God. We're all in isolation. We remain in obscurity, if you will, in desolation from God. And yet there came Jesus. Jesus, the essence of life, the difference maker. And when Jesus came, listen, although they weren't searching for him, they probably weren't even searching and had given up hope for even healing, but he was searching for them. The text says, as Jesus entered a certain village, there he met 10 men who were lepers. Do you really think that was by accident? You think that was by happen circumstance? No, that was by divine providence that the Father, God himself, strategize and in, in antiquity past that Jesus on this day and this time would meet these 10 men in this specific place for this specific reason. Notice when they saw Jesus, they cried out. Verse 13 says they lifted up their voices, which means in unison with, unison with a sense of urgency. And they said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. Jesus, 
Master, have mercy on us. There's, there's three things uh, seen there that I hope we would recognize. They said Jesus, but they also called him master. Whether they were recognizing him as a great rabbi or teacher, or whether they recognize him as the Greek word Adonai, they recognize him as Lord. That he has control over everything. And they said, Jesus is his birth name, his given name, but they also called him and recognized him as master, Lord. In other words, there's something different about this man. How many of y'all know there's something different about Jesus? He is not the biggest man, the greatest man. He's God all by himself. Master. But notice secondly, they believed in some sense that if he's master, then he's got control over this condition. They didn't know exactly what he would do, if he would do anything, but they knew that he had control. You know, sometimes we're always looking and trying to strategize and figure out what God can do. And then we got the audacity to tell him what he needs to do. Instead of just recognizing him as Lord and master and knowing you got this. But thirdly, they didn't cry out and ask for healing. Notice what they asked for. Mercy. <laughs> They said, have mercy on us. They clearly understood they did not only not only uh, deserve to be in the presence of Christ, the master, but listen carefully, us unmerciful people, listen carefully, us, us ungrateful people, they understood also that they were undeserving of anything that he would possibly do for, him, for them. So you know what they said? Have mercy you know, things begin to happen, first of all, when we recognize our problem. But then when we go beyond recognizing our problem and our condition, in this case, spiritual leprosy, and then we move from recognizing our problem to come to the conclusion, secondly, like these men, there's absolutely nothing we can do about our condition. And when we move from recognizing our problem and, and then secondly recognizing there's nothing that we can do about our condition, maybe it moves us to the third thing, crying out to Jesus and saying, you don't have to, but will you please have mercy? Things began to happen, things changed when we recognize our condition that we have no control over it, but there's someone who can and that he is able. And they put their confidence in him. Notice verse 14. It stands out to me. Jesus sees and Jesus knows. He saw them. Jesus sees being tired and weary, but he did not adjourn them, if you will, in their condition and their cause. Jesus saw them and Jesus knows. You might be here today and you're saying, I don't believe that God understands my current situation and my condition. I wish I had some church that spoken here that were broken and broken right now and could recognize our condition. I had a preacher tell me not long ago who preached here. I won't call his name, but it was three Sundays ago. He said, this is a hard church to preach in, Pastor. I said, yes, it is. He said, they just sit and stare at you. I said, yes, they do. I've gotten used to it by now. He sees and he knows. But listen to what Jesus told them. He didn't give him a sermon, neither did he give him a sermonette. He didn't give him some certain rites and all of that kind of stuff, baptism, communion. He, no, 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 no. Jesus didn't do that. He didn't, he didn't raise an offering and say, throw your money at me and I'm going to bless you. And I'm, no, 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 no. This is what Jesus said. Go show yourselves to the high priest. <laughs> is that simple? Go show yourselves to the high priest. Now, why? First of all, this is because it was only the high priest who could pronounce them unclean and give orders for them to be colonized or isolated because of their condition. And so that being the case by law, the law of God, Levitical law, it was only the high priest who could render them uh, clean. And now they are accepted back in society. So he said, turn around, just go show yourself to the priest. Now, now you need to get this. Because what he was doing was he was testing their faith and their confidence in him. He saw, they knew who he was, what he was capable of doing, but they didn't deserve it. And Jesus says to them, 
Go turn around and show yourself to the priest. This is before that they were cleansed or before they were healed. In other words, while they were turning, did y'all didn't catch that right there, they were healed. Uh, let me say it again. It's one thing for Jesus to see, but then when he saw, he spoke and gave them a command and they obeyed. You know, you know how we are? Uh, can I say it? You know how we do. Uh-huh. We, 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 we know that Jesus sees, but oftentimes we don't want to hear his word. And then even when we hear his word, we have to have evidence and know what he's going to do, when he's going to do it, and how he's going to do it before we ever going to obey. You know, when Jesus tells us to do something, we just need to do it right then and there. Uh, before you understand it, before we understand the details, before we understand the outcome, before we understand the process, listen, we need to just obey. And you have to obey even before you believe. One of the greatest reasons why the grace of God, the manifold blessings of God, is not fully in effect in our lives is because we have to see in order to believe. And let me say this as well. And then we always want to inject all of this stuff in the church and in our Christianese about faith. About I got faith and if we got faith to move mountains. But here's our idea of faith. Our idea of faith is, is that I have an expected outcome. And so therefore, if I have faith in God, I am looking for my expected outcome. And if my expected outcome comes to fruition, then I had Faith and God came through for me. You got to understand that faith is not dependent on our expected outcome. Y'all didn't catch that. That's not faith at all because faith is in the substance of things not seen and the evidence of things that are hoped for. But if you never get them in the same chapter, there were those who believed in God and had faith and they hid in caves and they were cut in half and they were burned to the stake. Did they have faith? Yes. Did they have an expected outcome? Yes. Did they receive it? Absolutely not. But the text says and the world wasn't worthy of them. Expecting a new job and God, uh, a new car, and God might be saying, "No, not only you're not going to get a new car, I'm going to take the one you got away, and you're going to walk for a while. Little exercise will do you good." (laughs) But then we look at verse 15, and only one of them turned around and say, "Thank you." One out of ten. Ten percent. Only one of them out of ten turned around to tell God thank you. <laughs> if we use the ten percent, there were only ten out of a hundred. Only one hundred out of one thousand turned around and told him thank you. But notice all of the men experienced the same blessing. All of them experienced the same disease. All of them experienced the same condition. All of them were in the same state. All of them were in the same geographical location. They lived in the same place. All of them experienced the same loss and in some degree the same, the same pain. But they all experienced the same gain. But notice there's a different response. Here's the reality, body of Christ. God has blessed all of us. Some of y'all didn't catch that. I don't know if it was the A, the first L, or the second L. God has blessed all of us. All of us. Er, one of us. And yet we all have a different response. But I'm convinced that for most of us, we're in the 90% category and not the 10%. We're in the nine and we're not the one. But you need to turn around and tell God thank you. But you know what? Only one turning around is not the biggest problem in this passage. It's not the biggest problem. Only the one in the ten. No, 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 no. The biggest challenge, if you will, in this text is what not only Luke emphasizes, but what Jesus emphasized. The, the biggest challenge is this. He emphasized this. 
And y'all know what he said? And the one who turned around was a Samaritan. (laughs) Which means that the other nine were Jews. Did y'all catch that right there? No, 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 no. The the one who turned around was a heathen. (laughs) Let me say it the way we can understand the body of Christ. Let's bring it up to date 2,000 years and contemporize it a little bit. Is that all right? Let's put some seasoning salt on this thing, a little hot sauce. What Jesus was really saying and the point that he was trying to make then and the point that he's trying to make now, he says this. It's interesting that 90% of the people can be sitting in the church that I've blessed tremendously and they won't give me thanks but the hoochie mama on the street. The chicken head around the block. You understand that, don't you? She will bust through those doors and give me praise. Matter of fact, she will praise me on the street corner. He will praise me while driving in a car that I have blessed them with and can't stand church folk. It's easy for me or anybody to talk about the BET Music Awards, whatever it might be. I don't care if it's a country music award. And then you see guys coming up and they got the posse with them and boys and they just already performed and they got the girls half naked and they come up and receive their award and they say, first of all, I want to thank and give honor to God who made all this possible. They didn't drop the F-bomb. They've been beeped out on television. Some of the stuff got through and everything else. Everything that is anti-God, they're now thanking God for the award. And it's easy to point our finger at them and say that. But let me ask you this, church folk. <laughs> When last time you stood up on stage and gave God thanks and gave him praise? When last time you stood at your seat and lifted your hands to God and said, I want to thank the Lord publicly. I'm not worried about the rocks out praising me. I'm concerned about sinners out praising me. Because we're supposed to be the ones who know him and to know that, listen, we're so undeserving But yet God is so merciful. He healed these men and showed them all mercy. That's a great reason for thanksgiving. But then secondly, there's a natural resistance to thanksgiving or giving thanks. Because of our our sinful natures, there's a natural resistance to give thanks. I, I mean, thanksgiving is something that has to be taught. And that's the reason why you have children and, and when they're young and, and either us or somebody else, you give them something and they look at you and say, I, 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 what are you going to say? What, say thank you. Thank you. And so therefore, we have to teach them and it's sort of programmed in them that this is the proper response. Say thank you. And they keep, you keep saying it and repeating it now they're 13 years old. And you do something for them and they just want to, ah, 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 what do you say? Oh, okay, all right, thanks. But God wants us to go from being programmed or this is the proper response to this is what's burning in my heart. To say thank you. What happened to the other nine? Maybe if we look at what happened to the other nine and consider the possibilities, we might also understand why it is and why it's so natural or easy for us not to give thanks unto God. Number one, what what what, what happened to the the other nine? How is it that they they just just kept on stepping in their healing, but didn't turn around and give God thank you? Maybe number one, it's because they were too busy with the details and the excitement of the healing that they forgot the healer. I'm going to say it again. Maybe they were so caught up in the details, if you will, and the excitement of the healing that they forgot the healer. Did, did y'all catch that? They were so excited about the car that they forgot the one who gave them the car. They were so excited about the clothes that they forgot the one who clothed them in righteousness. They were so excited, if you will, about being out of something that they forgot about the one who delivered them out of it. But the Samaritan, the text says, when he saw, when he saw, notice that when he saw, he immediately recognized what the Lord had done and he took notice. He paid attention, in other words. 
You know, oftentimes it's the lack of tension and the under, uh, lack of attention and the understanding of what God has done and how bad our condition is that causes us to miss what God has done in our lives and even what he's doing in our lives. You know, sometimes, again, we give more attention to the healer than we do the healing than we do the healer. Sometimes, let me say it another way, we're more particular, uh, more, we pay more interest to the particular of the Sunday morning worship than the one who, is, who it is that we're supposed to worship. We're more concerned about what she got on when she came in, where she's sitting and who she's sitting with than we are the one that we're supposed to come and worship. We're more concerned about who's serving, where they're serving, and how did they get to serve than we are about rendering service and worship unto the Lord himself. We're more concerned about the pastor, the pastor's wife, what she looked like, is she smiling today, the pastor's kids, than we are about the one who we came to worship. We're more concerned about whether the church is clean than other than cleaning it and understand that we need to have clean hearts when we worship the one that we're supposed to come to worship. We're more concerned about who's singing and how they get to sing that song and what they're going to sing than the one that we're supposed to be singing to. We're more, y'all didn't hear what I'm trying to say. More concerned about who's here and who's not here and why they're not here than who it is that's here all the time that we're supposed to be worshiping. We get so caught up in the particulars of the worship that we forget to worship. We're more interested in the sacrifice than we embrace the mercy. That's the problem. This is what the psalmist said in Psalms 51.16. For you do not desire sacrifice, saying to God, or else I would give it. You do, not, you do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, listen, are a broken spirit and a broken and contrite heart. These, oh God, you will not despise. It's not how much we gave and how much we give it, whether it's online, whether it's in the basket. It's the heart of our giving. It's not where we serve and how we serve and how often we serve, but it's the heart of our servitude. What is it that God embraces? It's a broken and contrite spirit. It's meekness and humility. Understanding that we're not deserving of anything, but God has blessed us tremendously. So maybe, maybe they, the nine kept stepping in the name of love. Step, step, step. Instead of turning around and thanking Jesus because they were caught up in the details. Instead of worshiping God. Secondly, maybe they were just simply ungrateful and unthankful. The Samaritan, he was grateful. The text says that he fell down on his face at Jesus' feet, giving Jesus thanks. Nancy DeMoss Wigglesmouth Muff, says this in her book entitled Choosing Gratitude. And she makes this point. She says this simply. We're either whining or we're worshiping. <laughs> there is no in-between ground. We're either whining or we're worshiping. Our, our sinful state, listen, uh, and our sinful character, if you will, in the core of my it, being, it is prone, if you will, to whine. We have to be intentional about worshiping. But the Samaritan, again, he fell on his face, he worshiped God, and he gave thanks. He gave thanks. The Greek word here is Eucharisto. And it simply means to be grateful. He was grateful. That's what worship comes, worship comes from, a grateful heart to God. This man knew that he was unworthy and undeserving. But he has such a sense of gratitude towards God. And he expressed it in modesty by bowing down before the Lord. The word gratitude, hahoda, in the Greek, in the Hebrew rather, it's the same word of confession. And what he was confessing, confessing was his dependence on God. That this was totally out of his control and that he was totally depending on God with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. That, that confession of dependence is, is really acknowledging that others have the power to benefit us and they have benefited us and so we're letting them know that we appreciate their effort. You know what, I, I realize a lack of gratitude is, is due to a lack of contentment, which leads to a lack of misery. Gratitude is, is, is nothing less than the key to all of our happiness. 
As a matter of fact, it was Dennis Prager, the author of Happiness is a Serious Problem. He said it this way. He says, there's a secret to happiness, Prager, he writes, and he says, and it's gratitude. Notice what he says. All happy people are grateful and ungrateful people cannot be happy. We tend to think that it is being unhappy that leads people to complain. But it's truer, he says, to say that it is complaining that leads people to becoming unhappy. Become grateful, he says, and you will become much a much happier person, end of quote. No wonder the psalmist said it right in Psalms 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. It's good to give thanks to the Lord. Listen, our thanksgiving to the Lord does not improve upon his personhood. It does not make him a better God. Our thanksgiving unto God doesn't make him happy about being God. He's happy all by himself. Our thanksgiving to God, why it's so good is because it's good for us. We get to enjoy what he enjoys and that is himself. Learning to be to thank, uh, to thank, uh, to be thankful and grateful is the greatest fact, vaccination against ingratitude. Thirdly, maybe they didn't know or realize how much God had really done for them. Before we point our finger at us, isn't it easy to forget just how gracious God has been and what he's done for us? God bless all one and a half people who responded to that one. (laughs) Jesus said it this way. There's a story you remember of a woman who had a notorious background. She was a woman from the streets. And she broke up into this Pharisee's house. Jesus was in there sitting in the presence. No doubt they were dining. She breaks in. She's got her oil in her hands and everybody, all the men knew, number one, she's a woman in the presence of men. Uh -uh, That's a no-no. Secondly, she wasn't invited. Uh -uh, That's a no-no. She has a notorious background and and yet she's in the company in the presence of religious, pious men, leaders in their community. Uh -uh, That's a no-no. And she pulls the bobby pins from her hair. Gets down on her hands and knees. Pours, pours expensive perfume or oil on Jesus' feet, washes his feet, then takes her hair and dries them, and then takes her tears and rinses his feet off, takes her hair and then dries his feet again. And then the text says, and she comes from behind him, which almost like she put her arms around him. Oh, Lord, you don't do a man like that. Not unless you know him like that. And they began to criticize even his own disciples. One of them said, He's wa- she's wasting money. We could have given that to charity. Jesus said, y'all don't get it. This is what he says. Her sins, which are many. <laughs> I like that right there. You know, you know, I one thing I love about Jesus, he don't put all your mess out there in the street. You know what I'm saying? He just categorized her sins. He said, we ain't got to talk about what they are. But I want you to know for this point, they are many. Stay with me. But they are forgiven. Her sins, which are many, did y'all get that? Many are forgiven. For she loved much. Why did she do all of this? Why did she put it all on the line? Why did she take the risk? Why did she become so transparent, so vulnerable? It's because she loved much. But Jesus says, here's the reason why she loved much. Her sins, which were many, are now forgiven. But listen to this. And he says, but to whom little is forgiven? The same loves little. Those who have been forgiven the most are the ones who love Jesus a lot. So don't judge the next person you see jumping up and down, tears flowing, running around the sanctuary. Those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Now, 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 let me say this, because years ago, when I first started preaching, I read this passage And there was a side of me that said, well, listen, I I was born and raised in the church. I've been in church all my life. And, you know, I I ain't been perfect by no means, but I I wasn't out there doing what the other boys were doing. I ain't lived that hard life. I I, I was drinking wine, but not that hard liquor. I I was smoking weed, but I never did drugs. (laughs) I went to basement parties, but I ain't never been in the club. And when I was in the club, I was performing. I wasn't, you got what I'm saying, as a musician. And so I was justifying. And so in one sense, I was kind of like, oh, God, but, but only if I had been forgiven much 
then I would have the privilege of loving you much. And God says to me, I heard it so clearly. Every now and then God speaks to me. He said, you knucklehead. I heard him. You knucklehead. You're misconstruing the meaning of the passage. Because it took my son Jesus the same amount of blood to die for you as it did for somebody outside the church. The same pain at Calvary to die for you as it did somebody. Uh, here's the difference between you and them. They know and accept that they have been forgiven much. You've just been in the church and don't really realize just how messed up you really are. Is because they out on the street and out of the church and knew that they're messed up and received mercy. You in the church thinking you don't need mercy. When you get to the point, Calvin, that you realize how sinful you really are, how disgusting you really are, what an enemy of mine you really are, how far from me you really are, how diseased you really are. When you realize that, you'll start loving me just as much as the guy on the outside, if not more. See, church folk get on my nerves. The longer we're in church, the more dangerous we are. What I sanctify is the ditty cells. Always going to look at somebody else and judge. Judge based on what? Based on who? Those who realize, because all of us have sinned much, but those who realize they have been forgiven much, they love hard. They praise hard. To give God their all. Maybe there's a fourth reason why nine walked away and only one turned around to give them thanks. Maybe it's because of immaturity. Even the Samaritan was more mature, if you will, in turning around and giving God thanks because gratitude, it really flows out of maturity. I don't care how old a person are, how many scriptures they've memorized, what Christianese they're able to talk. I don't care what position they have in the church and how long they've been serving and all that. I don't care about this seniority they've been saved for 35 years. I don't care if they're bald and gray like me. I don't care about that. they got grandkids and granny grandkids. That, that, that doesn't make you spiritually mature. You can quote scripture all day long and be sitting in church and in the Bible study and complain all the way through the scriptures. Ingratitude, it denotes spiritual immaturity. That's the reason why infants and children, they cry and they whine. And you have to program them, let me go back to this, to say thank you when someone does something or gives them something for them, or, do, or give them something. Listen, but here's the hope as parents. You keep telling them for a while they got to do it. They're, they're four. And you tell them they're seven, and they're 13, and they're 16, and they're 18. And it's, I know you ain't going to just walk away without saying, you better go back over there and say thank you. It's because we're hoping that one day they will mature. And listen, you don't have to tell them anymore that this is the proper response but out of maturity, they know in their hearts, this is how you respond out of a sense and heart of gratitude that somebody has given you something that you don't rightly deserve. Fifthly and lastly, maybe, maybe the Samaritan had a different value system. <laughs> you know, we're more thankful over that which we value. If you value something greatly, then you're more thankful or you have more gratitude for and towards it. True gratitude and thanksgiving, it even increases the value of what someone has done for us or what someone has given us. The nine, maybe they could only think of themselves. And the one Samaritan, he, he turned around and what he could think about was God, not just his healing, not just what he'd received, but who had blessed him. And listen, that is what made the healing more significant to him because of who had done it for him. But let me close with this. A rationale for giving thanks. A rationale for giving thanks. We don't give thanks just because of what God has done for us. We don't give thanks just to show 
our outward gratitude. No, no, no. We give thanks unto God because we realize that God has created us to glorify him in all things. The, the Samaritan in, in Luke 17, 5 again, he returned and with a loud voice, he, he glorified God. There was this exuberant, this, this radical praise that he gave unto God because he realized, listen, that he was created for this purpose, for this moment. And that God created him to give thanks. No wonder the psalmist could say in Psalm 69 and 30, I will praise the name of God with a song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. You know what magnify him with thanksgiving means? It doesn't mean that you make God larger than what he really is, but he becomes larger in your heart and who he should be. I will magnify him. Praise and a heart of gratitude is what enlarges God in our thinking. Psalmist in Psalm 95 and 2 says, let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. No wonder that infamous psalms in Psalms 100 and, 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 and verse 4 says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Listen, and be thankful unto him and bless his name. Speak well of him. Then Psalms 116 and 17, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving because sometimes you just don't feel like it. It's got to be a sacrifice. It's got to cost us something and we'll call upon the name of the Lord. Or maybe Psalms 107 and verse 8, oh, that man will give thanks unto the Lord because of his goodness. It's one thing to say God is good, God is good all the time, all the time. But what about the times when God is not so good? It was Job who said to his wife in the midst of his adversity, can we only expect good from God and not evil? Can we only expect good from God and not the difficulties? God has got to be good even in difficult times. But the rationale to give to God is, for his glory. That's why we give thanksgiving. Because that's why we were created. C.S. Lewis said it best when he says, in commanding us, God, commanding us to glorify him, he's inviting us to enjoy him. He's really given us an invitation when we, when we thank God with a heart of gratitude. He says, you want to experience the joy that, that I have? Then listen, glorify me. But then I, I woke up about one o'clock this morning and said, I don't have a hook in the sermon. I was supposed to close right here, but I don't have a hook. You know, every good song got a hook in it. It dropped the bomb on me. He just did it. You know, you, you just can't. You don't know the verse, but that hook. You know what I'm saying? That young brother looking at me like, what that brother talking about, man? That's a goddamn bro. So I said, okay, well, we figured out all the negative. We find out why the nine didn't turn around and give God thanks. But the question is, how do we combat ungratefulness? Well, you combat it by being thankful. But how do we become thankful? Three things, real quickly. I ain't giving no, it don't need explanation. Number one, fill your mind with the truths of God. Fill your mind and heart with the truths of God. What's really true? Not, not, not what you're experiencing and not what the circumstances look like, but what's really true. When people walk around and say, don't nobody love me. Nobody love you? What you do? Nobody love you. <laughs> don't nobody care. Nobody cares? I mean, absolutely nobody. <laughs> Is it that bad? Here's the truth of the matter. Paul wrote to the Colossians and said this way in Colossians 3.15, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. Let the peace of God govern your hearts. Make your heart stable, to which also you are called to one body. Be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied to various circumstances and thoughts in our lives. Let the word of God, learn how to apply the word of God, stand on the platform of his word, and let the peace of God condition our hearts and keep our hearts stable. That's what he says. Fill your mind with the truths of God. 
when we have a sense of ingratitude, when we have a sense of ungratefulness, when we find ourselves complaining, don't just quote scripture says, is my heart filled with the truths of God? What is the real truth? Real truth, he said, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. The real truth says he'll supply all your needs according to his riches and glory through Christ Jesus' his son. That's the real truth. The real truth is we hear the psalmist says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken nor a seed begging bread. The real truth says that we're going to be tested and we're going to go through some storms. But greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The real truth says that we're more than conquerors. That's what the real truth says. Secondly, secondly, this is important. This is key. I, I, I want to see this assignment next Sunday from every one of y'all. You need to turn them in with your name on across the top. Date it. Sign it. Get your parents to sign the bottom. You need to journal and write down every single day unto God like you're writing a letter to heaven and address it. Dear Lord, here's what I'm thankful and grateful for. Write it down. Start taking inventory. I, I know this is what, don't, don't, don't put down what I don't have. Don't even put down this is what I need. Say, this is what you have blessed me with and what I'm grateful for. What you blessed me with on today, or how you blessed me on yesterday, how you blessed me on last week, how you blessed me when I was five, how you blessed me when, you get the point? You're going to run out of paper. You're going to run out of memory on your, your, your electronic device. But take inventory of what God has already done for you then you'll know and be able to have a sense of what he's doing for you now and what he will continue to do and more so who he is. And we have a spirit of gratitude and thanksgiving. Last and finally, I started to make this the first one, but this last and finally, this one hooked me right here. Think about what you rightly deserve from God, but what he has given you because of his mercy and grace. While you're making your list and saying, this is what I want, check the list twice. This is what I got to have. Check it again. And, and think about what is it that I rightly deserve? <laughs> and then what is it that he's given me because of his mercy and grace? See, here's what mercy is. Mercy is what God has withheld from me that I rightly deserve. What he has withheld from me is condemnation and eternal damnation. That's what he has withheld from me. Grace is the opposite, what he has given me that I don't rightly deserve. Mercy is what he has withheld that I, I really rightly deserve, I've earned. But on the other hand, grace is what he has given me that I did not earn and I don't deserve. And now, when you make your list, now when you make your petition unto God, start off by saying, Lord, have mercy. Because the reality is I don't deserve anything else. And I don't even deserve what you've already blessed me with. You know, because we're so quick to complain, say, Lord, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve to be treated like this. I try to treat everybody right. And you have to stop and say, well, neither did Jesus deserve the treatment that he received. But it's because of the treatment that he received, we become beneficiaries of his death as well as his resurrection. <laughs> Listen. Right. Just take note of those three things. That's how we combat against ungratefulness. But you know what? I don't want you to miss the true blessing. There's a true blessing in here. I don't want you to miss it. The nine, all ten, as a matter of fact, the text says they were healed. They were healed of their, their leprosy. But notice what Jesus says in verse 19. And he said to him, the one who turned around, the Samaritan, to worship God and give him thanks. He says, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The better translation of the word well here is the word whole. And a better translation of that from the Greek, the original language, is the word sozo, which means to be complete. In other words, this is what happened. Nine of them walked away with their bodies healed. But this man, as a result of his faith, his confidence in God, him worshiping God, he received something that they did not receive. They, they all of them were healed physically, but his mind, body, and soul was made whole. It was made complete. 
Another word for sozo, sozo uh, is found in our word salvation in the English. In other words, they walked away with healed bodies, but he walked away with a saved soul. <laughs> and he was a Samaritan. Did I mention that? You see, the reality is you can receive healing for your body today, but you got to die on tomorrow. But when you receive wholeness today, wholeness is an eternal blessing that nobody can take away from you. There's a lot of people that are walking in the healing, but they've abandoned their wholeness. <laughs> There's some folk today, they'll walk away encouraged, but you're not whole. you walk away feeling better, but you're not whole. Knowing that you're forgiven, but you're not whole. You see, because faith mixed with radical thanksgiving is a double blessing in itself. When we have faith and absolute confidence in God, with thanksgiving, it's a double blessing. We not only receive the healing, but we receive the wholeness. I'm just wondering. I'm just wondering. I, I know there's got to be at least one in here. Just one in here realized like I realize, and God constantly reminds me that you too were that spiritual leper. You too were separated from me. You too. Were diseased because of sin. You too had your first for Adam, your first father's blood inside of your body, and you too were diseased and contaminated. You too, but you too were the one who received my mercy. You ought to give me thanks. I hear the Lord saying, "You too were the one who I saved and made whole." You ought to turn around, Calvin, and give me thanks. I know there's got to be one besides myself. If it's not one, maybe you in the nine. <laughs> this past week, God blessed you, but you in the nine. You received a blessing, but you forgot to tell them thank you. But now that we're here, you can go from being in the nine to being in the one. Y'all to hear what the word of God is saying. <laughs> Somebody realized there's a spiritual leper. Somebody realized they were diseased, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But I wonder, is there anybody here to realize how merciful God really has been? Ain't nobody got to stand up here and tell you to tell God thank you because you got to thank you rolling up on the inside like a river of water. You realize this person has helped you and this person has helped you, but can't nobody do you like Jesus. <laughs> That's the way mama would say it. So we thank everybody else, but when are we going to get to God? <laughs> I want you to know today that you might be here today and realize that the reality is uh, I'm still a spiritual leper. I'm still isolated from God. Listen, the great news is this, is that Jesus Christ, the same Christ that died 2,000 years ago and his blood was flowing fresh from Calvary's cross. You might have not only woke up on the wrong side of the bed, but you might have woke up, woke up on the right side of the cross today. <laughs> you in the right place at the right time. To experience this sozo, not just the healing of your mind, but the healing and the healing of your body, but the healing of your soul. He's here to forgive you, to come and live inside of you. The question is, are you willing to trust him? Let us pray. Father God, we pause and give you thanks. Thank you, O Lord, with a grateful heart for not only all of your provisions, Thank you, O oh Lord, for not only your protection. Lord, you protected not only from that which we are aware of the danger, but even stuff that was happening behind the scenes. We had no idea of, Lord. You blocked it. And for that, we say thank you. And, oh God, even the stuff that hit us, you didn't allow it, O oh Father, to kill us. Even the stuff that might kill us. Lord, you provided, Lord, a door of hope in the valley of Acor. <laughs> that even in the valley of the shadow of death, there's a door of hope in the midst of the valley. I on one side, but Bethel on the other, oh God. Danger on one side, but we realize no matter where that danger might be, even in the valley, we're in the house of your presence. So God, we thank you. God, thank you today, O oh Lord, for bringing us to this place that we might be reminded again. Yes, we don't have, but guess what we do have? 
Help us to be grateful. Help us to be content. Lord, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy the luxuries of this world, the pleasantries. You've given us all things to enjoy. But, oh God, help us not to allow these things to become masters over our lives. And we become slaves to things and slaves to passion, slaves to desire and slaves to pleasantries, oh God. Pray, oh Lord. Is anyone here that may not know Christ as their Savior that today they would open up their hearts, oh Lord, to receive the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ himself, and to leave this place, oh Father, not only forgiven of their sins, but Christ living and reigning on the inside as Lord and Master. Not only delivered, oh Father, from the power of darkness, but realizing now, oh Father, they have received the light of Christ to be his witnesses when they leave this place. Help us to realize, oh Father, that you're raising up men and women everywhere, oh Lord. To be radical and bold, oh Father. Lord, about just who you are and how hard you love this world and you love the people in it. So much so that you gave your only begotten son. Oh God, I pray that we leave this place being different difference makers today. Lord, we could come and ask you for something, but today we just want to say thank you. Lord, our burdens are lifted when we say thank you. We receive joy just by saying thank you, oh God. Circumstances might be the same, but they were going to be the same regardless because you not only see, but you know. But Lord, you have spoken your word today that we might have a sense of gratitude. And for that, we say thank you. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Come on, somebody tell the Lord. Thank you.